Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, it's just gone midday here in Sydney, which means once again, it is time for the call. 10 stocks as suggested by you, our viewers, and two experts to give you the skinny on exactly what you should do with them. Today, I'm joined by Michael Gable here in the studio from Fairmont Equities. Michael, good to see you again. Thanks, Andrew. Good to be here. Did you have a nice break? Not too bad. Not yeah. Too bad. A bit wet. Yes. Could have done some more sunny weather. <laughs> and another miserable rainy day here in Sydney again today. And we're also joined by Andrew Wyland, who's probably experiencing some nicer weather up in Toowoomba. How are you, Andrew? G'day, Andrew. G'day, Michael. And uh, Michael, if you can just send that weather our way, our farmers uh, would love that. But love uh, certainly not up further north. Our friends in Ta- uh, Cairns and Townsville, they're going to need their snorkel in a minute after that tropical uh, cyclone across the coast there. But yeah, certainly in Toowoomba, as you can see, I'm in uh, casual mode. So uh, living my best Queensland life. That's what we like to see. And uh, Andrew, the guys there at DP Wealth Advisory, still on break till next week, but really glad that you could join us on the program today. Hey, let's get stuck into it. Before we get into the 10 viewer stocks, uh, we always have a stock of the day. Got to be honest with you, me and the producer got him really had to scratch around for something today. It's a bit of a slow news day on the ASX, but we thought we might talk IAG. These guys have finalized their catastrophe reinsurance, getting another 10 billion or so in cover. Covers about 65% of their book. It's not market sensitive news, but it gives us a bit of a chance to talk about insurance in general and IAG specifically. Michael, what do you think about IAG? I don't like it. No. So generally, I don't like the, the insurers. I've just found them tough businesses to invest in. There's always something unexpected that that turns up. So obviously, the, true? Yeah, yeah. The, the main ones, of course, I guess the top three, IAG, QBE, Suncorp, each of them has their own little disaster story or they've, they've had their own um, set of problems over the last few years. I mean, IAG share price is almost half of where it was about 18 months ago. Um, you know, they had to raise money in, in November to cover, um, you know, provisions. Always seems as though something unexpected turns up. I know it's the insurance industry and they're there to protect against that. But I just find them tough investments. And um, today's news has seen the share price go up a little bit, but maybe because it wasn't slightly as bad as parts of the market were expecting. But whether that's enough for a turnaround, I doubt it. The stock's still in a downtrend. Look, I suppose the one positive is that, you know, for a big for a big cap stock that's quite liquid to, to see it lose almost half its value, um, that could open up the opportunity in the next sort of year or two that you might have this brief period where the share price stage is a bit of a recovery and you might be talking like a 20-30% dead cap bounce and if you can if you have the skills to capture that then there might be a trade in that but I think you know to keep it to keep it nice and um, simple and to to buy it as an investment um, it's not something I'd be I'd be doing. I hear what you're saying. It does. It does seem like an unattractive proposition. It's a lot of risk, a lot of timing, uh, expertise required. And if you get it right, what maybe twenty or thirty percent. Mm. And if not, maybe 
maybe a bit of pain there. Andrew, yep. what do you think? We often we often hear from guests on the show that um, insurance is a pretty tough space for an investor. Do you agree with that or are we missing something here? No, no, I think you, your guess is spot on. Um, but I, you might remember the last time that we were on, and I know you vividly recall every time you and I chat, but one of the ones that we spoke about was Ostock, or yep. uh, AUB. And I was just sort of running some numbers on them. I mean, you look at the ROE, and I know you're a big return on equity man, you look at return on equity of IAG, which is 4%. Yep. Uh, AUB, so they're a, um, an insurance broking firm. They're not the insurer, but they just basically help you find the best person or best best fit. Their ROE is 12%. So mm. you've got three times the ROE, or you look at the margin on IAG, which is 3%, and you look at AUB's margin, and it's 18%. Mm. Why wouldn't you buy the broker? Why, why, why would you buy the insurer? And you might remember, you know, how we first started this conversation, which is around, well, you know, our friends up north are copying a bit of wet at the moment. So you've got a lot of um, events that are inf impacting insurance companies at the moment. And that's why they're having to go out and get more cover and that co cost of cover is getting higher. And insurance companies, surprisingly, don't make money on insurance. They actually make money by holding on to your money, investing it, and then hoping you don't make a claim for a while. So it's a pretty generic statement, but on yeah. average, you give money to an insurer, it's about 18 months before they actually, you before you actually make a claim. So in that 18 months, they've got your money, how can they make money on it? And with markets the way they've been over the last 6, 12, 18 months, it's been pretty tough for insurers to make money. So not only is their cost of doing business going up, but their ability to generate those returns has been difficult as well. So certainly not a space that we want to be in, and I'd much rather buy like an AUB if you desperately want insurance exposure. That's some excellent points you make. We actually had someone earlier on in the week make another point saying that even when there is good potential for returns on that float, that tends to get offset somewhat by the pricing they do on the insurance side of things as well, which tends to sort of net it off a little bit. So there you go. We probably didn't choose the best stock of the day and the guys have just outlined some good reasons why. Let's get into the stocks that have been suggested by you. Andrew, I'm going to stay with you and we're going to talk about one that Theo has sent in my state. The ASX ticker there is MYS. Having a quick look at the numbers here, the earnings and dividends have been remarkably flat and steady, I guess, as you can say, as, as a positive, but they haven't, they haven't done much. Is this a, a bond kind of play? Is there any particular reason for this immense stability? Can you shed any light on it for us? Uh, so it's a Tasmanian company. I'm not sure whether that helps relating to the stability piece. It's predominantly banking. It's about 87% of their revenue and about 13% of their money comes from sort of that trustee wealth management space. Their loan book's about $5 billion, so certainly not small. They've got about 140,000 customers. Uh, their funds under management is around $1.2 billion in that wealth management space, and they're holding just under $4 billion worth of customers' money. So again, you know, it's not Commonwealth Bank, but it's not a, a small go, uh, operation by any stretch of the imagination. Their NIM, that net interest margin, not too bad. It's about 1.8%, so that's reasonably comparable. Obviously, like a lot of other financial institutions, uh, had uh, some issues relating to COVID. At one stage, I think they had about $450 million worth of loans on pause. I haven't seen the most recent numbers, but if you look at across the industry, that's come off by about 75%. So I suspect that would have occurred as well. PE at 12 times certainly isn't demanding. And if you compare that relative to the rest of the sector, the rest of the sector's trading at around 15 times. That dividend that you alluded to before, 
it was actually paused uh, over the last six months. Um, and mm. so I would expect that dividend will restart again. And forecast is around a 70% dividend payout ratio, which is important, Andrew, because they were previously paying out over 90%. Mm. So from a sustainability point of view, that 70% number is important. I do like the fact that the CEO has been increasing their holding over the last uh, 12 months by about 20%. That's a big sign of confidence in the business. But banks in general just continue to be pretty cautious, in particular with low interest rates. Uh, These last few loans that are hanging around, they're probably going to be the problem loans. Obviously, you know, we're still not quite out of COVID yet relating to lockdowns and so forth, even though Tasmania itself's done pretty well, almost as good as Queensland. Uh, (laughs) So I'm probably a hold on this one. So we got a hold out of Andrew. Michael, what do you reckon? Um, yeah, look, I can't get too enthused about, about this one. I mean, just to, to add a few extra points to, to everything um, Andrew said. Um, looking back, going back to the PE, yes, it's a, it's a couple of points cheaper than the, the big four banks. If you're looking at, say, ANZ NAB, Westpac, there's only a slight difference there. I mean, CBA um, is a little bit more expensive. So valuation-wise, only a little bit cheaper. Um, if you're expecting the banks to recover, and let's just say um, back of an envelope, they try to go back to those highs in February at some point this year. Um, you know, CBA, you're looking at about 10% upside. Um, my state, you're looking at about 20% upside, but you get about 20% upside also with, with ANZ NAB or, or Westpac, mm-hmm. the, the lesser of the big four. So I guess if you're trying to compare it to say the big four banks, which is their, that would be their nearest competitor, not really that compelling, slightly cheaper, maybe slightly more upside. Um, I don't think there's enough there to take that risk. And then there's the broader comment in terms of, you know, do you want to be in the banks anyway? Um, and I don't think you need to be um, up at these levels, um, overweight in the banks. So for me, it's a no. I think there's other opportunities in the, in the broader market. Yeah, I hear what you guys are saying. It, it strikes me as something that's asymmetric in all the wrong ways. That is, if, if things kick along as per normal, as you say, maybe you get 10% mm. upside, maybe there's a little bit of upside. Yeah. If there is any sort of, let's call it speed bumps in the wider economy, in particular in the housing market, and let's, I'm not calling for that, but let's yeah. say if that was to happen, there's a lot more downside potential than upside. Exactly. And that asymmetry is, is in the reverse of what you normally like to see. So Theo, there you go. A uh, couple of different viewpoints for you. Hope it helps. Let's move on to InvoCare, the funeral business here. IVC is the code. Malcolm wants to know, is there life in this, Michael, to have a terrible pun? Yeah, no, that's all right, mate. I've uh, got used to it with you. Um, uh, look, to be fair, look, no, this, this is, I think this is one worth, worth keeping an eye on. And it's not a business that I don't think I've ever invested in InvoCare before. And uh, yeah, a, a, lot of, a lot of our viewers, or well, for the benefit of those that aren't aware, they've had issues in the past with, with costs, competition, um, and it's been a really tough sector to um, invest in. And then COVID comes along, and I think initially there was a Oh, there's going to be extra deaths. That's good, but then we realise pretty, pretty morbid, no one's, but you can yeah, see the no thinking, one's dying yeah. from in Australia at least. No one's dying from COVID, and um, no one's dying from all the other um, deaths, uh, mm. you know, causes like car accidents and so on. So, sure. if anything, they've they've seen a decrease in in volume. So, I guess where the the opportunity now is is where things go back to normal. The death rate um, heads back to a, a normal rate. Um, and with the share price down here, there could be a potential upside. I mean, it looks interesting on the chart. I think charting-wise, if it breaks $12, it might have a bit of a run. I mean, what's the catalyst for that? I mean, for me, I'm not rushing in yet because um, it, like our, our, our analyst had a look at this and he's saying, look, the market already seems to be factoring in an earnings improvement of about 30%. So 
Um, they report in February. It'd be interesting to see um, what numbers they come up with. I mean, if it looks like things are heading to, to levels uh, greater than what the market's expecting, then that might be a bit of a catalyst. But if, if things are sort of already tracking in with what the market's expecting, then you know, you're not really going to get much um, movement there in the share price. So look, it's got potential. Um, I just think it's a bit too early to go in. Yeah, Andrew, Michael makes a really interesting point there, touched on this this idea of, I guess, what you might call first order versus second order thinking. You can see how investors would draw a line between the nature of the business and what's going on out there in the real world. But then when you think about it for a little bit longer, it's actually played out in exactly the opposite way. Um, is is then of course now the share price is very different to where it was in March. Is there some upside just perhaps based on a value uh, lens? No, no, Andrew. It's uh, it's not a business that we're super interested in, which breaks my heart, frankly. You know, Michael says that he's never owned it. Um, we helped float it back in two thousand and one, two thousand and two, and it was certainly one of my star emerging leader companies, along with SAI Global, bless its little cotton socks. Uh, they, uh, they were both great companies in their time, but unfortunately uh, time doesn't heal all wounds in this case. Invocare, I mean, have had a few issues. Obviously the fact relating to COVID that they've been you know, uh, impacted even by virtue of people not being able to attend funerals. Mm. And so therefore that sort of had a bit of an impact on their business. They've had some internal issues as well with the CEO uh, recently leaving. Uh, the deputy CEO, who was an internal appointment, he uh, missed out on getting the top job. So he's also decided to leave. So you've basically got the chair and the new CEO, who's well-credentialed, ex-Wes Farmers and ex-Ramsey, basically trying to sort of uh, pull it all back together again. And if you, obviously, if any of us have been in a, in a situation where you've got a new leader, it probably takes three to six months for them just to get their feet under the table and get that all sorted out. So you've certainly got some internal issues there. I mean, if you really want exposure to this sector, and I can't frankly see why you would at the moment, um, we probably prefer Propel, uh, PFP. Uh, its profit margin is around 11% per annum relative to, around 11% rather, relative to uh, InvoCares, which is about seven. And it trades on around 23 times earnings relative to InvoCare, which is around 43 times. InvoCare is certainly the, the much larger company. Um, the other thing we've just got to bear in mind, of course, is that InvoCare really is by a, a de facto listed uh, property trust because yeah. it owns a number of the funeral homes in which it operates under. There's a lot of capital expenditure that's required there. There's a fair bit of debt there as well. So there's quite a few moving parts there, which makes it pretty unattractive. I think the sector's pretty unattractive, but if you had to be there, it's Propel. Yeah, okay, there you go, Malcolm. No love from our two experts. Andrew, I'm gonna stay with you. It was only a matter of time before a Lithium Explorer came up on the show. And the one that's been nominated for today has come from Tim. He's interested in Ironeer, I-N-R is the code. I don't think they've uh, actually shipped anything at this stage, but the future could be very different. Is there is there reason for optimism here? Yeah, interesting little business. Thanks, Tim, I hadn't come across this one. Um, and so doing a bit of a deep dive, uh, boric acid or boron and uh, lithium is sort of where they're at in Nevada. And uh, if you think about where Nevada is relative to the Tesla Gigafactory in uh, near San Jose there. And then of course, there's another one planned for Texas as well. So it's certainly in the right spot. I might add though, that there's no actual contract between Tesla to uh, and INR to actually purchase their products. So just because they're in the right location doesn't necessarily mean anything's going to happen from it. 
Um, they're looking to have their first production in 2023 and relating to sort of that borac acid piece. So, uh, so the, the acid can be used in things like uh, manufacture of jewellery, uh, LED screen, uh, sorry, LCD panels, uh, fiberglass. They've actually nearly sold three years worth of uh, output on that side. So from that point of view, that's great. That's uh, certainly helping from a cash flow perspective but certainly no real love there relating to the lithium side. From what I could see, they've got about 28 million in cash and they burnt through 8 million in the last quarter. So in other words, they've got about three, three and a half quarters of cash left. Shares have done incredibly well this year, up about 52% for the year, uh, but they're still down 11% over the last three years. Bottom line, Andrew, I'd still prefer an ETF. I know you'd find that hard to believe. Something like um, ACDC. Uh, which covers uh, sort of that broader gamut of lithium either companies, you know, your, your galaxies, uh, but it also has a number of companies that use their products, including Tesla. And if you have a look at how OCDC has been traveling the last few days, it's uh, zooming along, pun intended. So, yeah, my preference would be ACDC, but certainly interesting little business. So thanks, Tim. Yeah, you, you've mentioned it before, Andrew, and I 100% agree. It does seem as though it's a far lower risk way of getting exposure if you're interested in that sector. And we know, too, that generally in these kinds of spaces and the market at large, frankly, a real power rule is at play here. That is that the vast majority of returns are generated by a very small minority of companies. And picking those companies can be tough, particularly in a very fast and emerging, a fast moving and emerging space. So I think ACDC, Andrew, I think you're right to sort of raise that again. Um, Michael, Andrew also raising some very important points here in terms of cash burn. Uh, it's burning through a lot of cash. Mm. Just having a look at the shares uh, on issue over the last five years, it looks like that share count has increased by about sixfold. Wow. So there's a lot of dilution potential here as well. And, and Andrew also pointing out 2023 is the first production. So we're still a while away. Yeah. Does that raise some concerns for you? Look, it would if I was in there for the long term. So I guess, you know, we have to think in terms of sort of long term investment, short term trade. Yep. Um, the overarching theme at the moment is very uh, the market, the whole commodity sector is hot at the moment. It's been like that for a few months. Yep. Um, so anything that any company that that tells you they're going to dig something out of the ground that's a metal, it's going up at the moment. So you can almost throw a dart at, uh, at the list of mining companies out there. And, and I think you would do pretty well. Um, I don't know how long this um, boom will last, but um, I think we're still in the early, early-ish phase of of, a, of another commodities boom. So we'll see. We'll see where that takes us. Obviously, there's the big names out there that that can capture that. Um, eventually, you know, the little guys like this, they, you know, after the initial bounce, they just get get swept away they end up raising more say, money it's a, it's a bit it like just, a game of chicken isn't it yeah, it's sort yeah, of so, fight until it ends so look i mean you know lithium yeah that that's going hot at the moment um you could if you want to be very specific um with a lithium stock you know stick to the big boys like your galaxies your your re's pls etc um but look there is a wave at the moment um behind you and um so for this one for the reasons mentioned no i couldn't i couldn't sort of buy that as a long-term thing. As a short-term trade, um, it looks great. I mean, I'd uh, have to, to go and buy someone to get back to the office. I mean, it looks like one of these things you could make a little, you can make a buck over the next few days. I mean, okay. it's, it, it trades really aggressively on, on the upside. We could see for the last month it's consolidated, gone nowhere. And then today it's overcome one month's worth of 
of selling just in one day on volume. So if you're a short-term trader, mm. you'd, you'd be buying it here and you could probably make a quick sort of 20% the next few days um, if you had your wits about you. So look, short-term, you've got that tide behind you. It's in the right sector. It's trading well. Long-term, yeah, just too much of a, uh, an early start. By the time they get their act together, the, the boom will be over. Yeah. Um, well, so. a lazy 20% in a few days. I tell you what, I, 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 would, I wish I could do that. <laughs> but uh, hopefully, Tim, that's given you a bit of uh, insight there. Let's stay. I'm going to stay with you, Michael, because we've got mm. a bit more um, a similarly themed company. Yep. And this one's come from uh, Hitesh Paladin. So yep. this isn't uh, lithium. This is uranium. Mm -hmm. And I guess that the narrative here goes along the lines of decarbonization and the potential for nuclear energy and some pretty good reserves. And yet, yeah. you and I have both been in this game for long enough to know that Paladin comes up yeah. quite regularly. I don't think they've ever made ten, it. Ten years ago, when we were on Your Money, Your Call, it came up all the time. All the time, right? And it's, I think the best years are, are behind them, I suppose, in, you know, in terms of uh, an investable company. So, um, yeah, look, long term, just, just mirror what I said with the previous company. Long term, I just, yeah. I just can't see this one. Um, I just can't be confident that I'm going to make money on this thing long term. Good run though um, in the last couple few months. Yeah, look, I mean, I've I've been personally trading this in the last few months. I mean, look at that. The tide is oh, nicely done. The tide is behind these stocks at the moment, and I don't know when that'll finish. Maybe it'll finish tomorrow. Maybe there's a few more months in it. But yeah, you've you've got to just sell it, and yeah, as soon as as soon as it turns around, um, be on your guard. Yeah, look yeah. It, again, just anything commodities focused is is running at the moment. So, um, yeah, I think Paladin looks fine here as a trade. Um, I'd still be long. Um, long term, just just don't be the last guy on the dance floor, you know, at three in the morning. It's just, um, <laughs> yeah, you just got to make sure you get out when, when they all turn around. Fair enough. Andrew, what would, what would you say about uranium and in general, I suppose, and, and Paladin specifically? I was, I was always, I thought, who's going to come up with a cracker line here today? It's, it's, it's got to be Andrew, but I think Michael's, <laughs> I'm going to call it. 11.22, I think, Michael, you called it. That's, uh, that's an amazing <laughs> one. Don't be the last person on the dance floor, okay? Um, yeah, look, I, uh, I, I sort of struggle a little bit with this one. I look at, uh, and, and sorry, before I start, I think Michael is absolutely bang on. You know, I'm attacking all these questions from sort of a long-term investor perspective. But... You're quite right. You should actually be probably also looking at it from another perspective, which is a bit of a punt, a bit of a trade. And if that's the perspective that you're looking at it, certainly as you just saw with that Paladin chart, it's just sort of uh, basically taking off. And as we saw previously with INR. So if that's sort of your frame of mind, ignore everything I'm about to say. I'm taking more of that medium to long term look. So if I put my medium to long term hat on, I look at the fact that they've got about $149 million in debt, which needs to be repaid by January, January 2023. And they're only holding about 32 million in cash at the moment. Now, I'm not saying that they can't roll that debt over, but some of that debt is paying interest at the moment of 10% per annum, which is interesting in this type of environment. Um, they have been pulling back on their expenditure because of you know what's going on with COVID and so forth, but they're still burning cash, albeit, as I said, they've got 32 million, so they're not in the same position that INR is. And in the context of this decarbonisation trade, so in other words, looking towards cleaner energy and certainly uranium uh, over the last 12 months up until recently was up about 25 percent it's pulled back the last three months but certainly uranium has been kicking along which is a positive for paladin relating to that um, mine that they have in Namibia, which they're looking at starting back up again they closed it back in 2018 because uranium prices are under pressure uranium prices are now picking back up again so they're looking at reopening it 
So as a punt, sure thing. But as a medium to long-term thing, that debt really would be a concern to me. And if uranium prices don't improve, then we've got some issues. So um, certainly not a buyer of a, from a long-term perspective at this stage. All right, uh, Andrew, let's stay on theme, although slightly different here. We're going to talk about strategic elements. SOR is the ticker. Jack wants to know, this it looks like a resource development fund. So similar in the sense that I don't think they've ever made any profit, uh, similar in the sense that they're involved in digging things out of the ground, but perhaps very different outlook. Would you, would you say there's cause for optimism here? Interesting little business, Andrew. Um, and was it Jack that you said that put us on? Yes, yeah, Jack, Jack? Jack wrote in. Good on you, Jack. Um, it's a pool development company now, or pool development fund rather, a PDF. Now I haven't seen a PDF in that perspective for years. I certainly remember I've been doing this about 24 years now. They used to be quite popular earlier in the day, but uh, PDFs basically um, uh, sort of have special tax treatment relating to capital gains and also dividends. So from the point of view of the type of investments they make, they're sort of there for more, dare I say, it's speculative investments. So if you have a look at what they've got in their, in their arsenal, uh, they've got some robotics. So they're working with Honeywell around autonomous security vehicles. So oh. those uh, vehicles that sort of run around the outside of correction facilities. Um, they're also involved in printable memory ink. And they've also got uh, exposure to a gold field in New Zealand called Golden Blocks which had some pretty high grades almost 100 years ago and then post World War One and pandemics, uh, 2020, 1900 style, basically uh, they've got some technology which they think they can basically access that, that gold there as well. So it really interesting business, but as I said, the key word in all of that is it's a punt. I note that there's been some selling from uh, one of the directors as well, which is sort of interesting in itself. They also did a share purchase plan recently, if I read that correctly, at six cents. It's now about 30 something cents. Hmm. Um, so you'd have to think some people who took up that SPP would be sort of maybe looking at lightening the load like one of those directors did. Uh, and again, without sounding like the broken record, why wouldn't you look at an ETF like RBTZ as an example? Uh, or Robo, which sort of has that sort of area. But important to note, neither of those are these uh, pool development funds and the tax benefits that potentially a PDF brings. So, but really interesting company. Yeah, definitely some some uh, interesting investments that it's got here. Michael, I'm just reading, it looks as though what, uh, if I'm reading this right, the, the news that sort of sparked that massive leg up was to do with the principal brain-inspired computing hardware, uh, neuromorphic computing. Mm. I have no idea what that means. Sorry, the market, I, won't, I won't bore you with the, what it is. The market, okay, please, <laughs> thank you. Please don't ask me to. <laughs> we just embarrass each other. Yeah, exactly. But the market seems to like it. And, yeah. and maybe, maybe you know, um, Andrew makes the point here that it's a bit of a punt, but I guess mm. if some of these technologies come through, there is massive upside. Yeah. But that's, that's what you have to do as an investor is weigh up how likely is this and how soon is this. Yeah, exactly. And um, look, I, I hadn't heard about this company before and it, it yeah, looks, looks quite interesting. And... Um, you know, without going over everything Andrew, Andrew covered. Look, I, yeah, look, I think it looks really interesting. I think that, um, you know, there is potential for a lot, lot more upside here. I think if you're um, looking for an entry point, it's probably a bit too late at the moment. So I think the shares are up 50% yesterday um, and they've got a bit of a speeding ticket um, to explain why. And they shot up again this morning and then um, was sold off their highs. So, um, this, this sort of latest run in the last few days, I think, is over for now, and it might just go into a bit of a, 
a decline um, back into the 20s and, and, and see the share price soften. So, um, yeah, look, if you're that way inclined um, and you're looking at this company, I'd just be patient. I wouldn't get too excited by the movements in the last couple of days. Um, but, yeah, look, there's, there's pretty good volume coming in ever since it jumped up in October there. So it looks like it may well have legs um, longer term. But, um, yeah, always, always got to treat these things as a small investment because of the, the potential downside as well. I, if I was a betting man, I would suggest that this is going to be one of those charts that we'll look at at some point in the next six months and we'll see it race straight up and then it'll come all the way back down again. When that is, mm. who, who's to know? But, but it's, it's not my first radio, uh, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and these, these themes come up again and again. Not, not to be too critical at all towards Jack. I mean, Jack might have a very, as you say, it depends on context, whether you're trading, yeah. whether you're investing, um, and whether you really understand all of this kind of stuff. And I think that's really something that we have to point out here. Often, the stocks that get sent in, we get a bit of the morning to have a look at. But if you really want an edge out there, your edge is, is informational. And that takes homework and that takes a lot of reading. And if you're prepared to do that and you've got extra added insight in any of these companies, then you may well um, have every reason to do that. And by the way, don't hesitate to jump onto Twitter or something like that and let us know if uh, you've got a different perspective. We always enjoy having a bit of a conversation with our viewers. Well, we are at the halfway mark. So let's do a bit of a recap of the stocks that we have gone through so far this morning. And uh, I gotta tell you, it's uh, thumbs down across the board with the stocks that we have come across today. We started with our IAG. We just don't like insurers in general uh, here at, here at the, uh, the panel today. Uh, Theo sent in MyState, a banking stock that's had remarkably consistent earnings and dividends, but no growth like to speak of. The gents aren't too favorably disposed towards banks in general, and MyState is no exception. Having a bit of a chat there about maybe a bit of upside, but potentially more downside. So uh, that was a no. InfoCare, this is a business uh, involved in funeral homes, uh, initially expected to do well out of COVID. In fact, it's not been good for them at all. Uh, there are some nice things to say about it, but not enough to get the guys to uh, tip into it. So that was two thumbs down as well. Ioneer, the lithium explorer here, uh, some concerns over cash burn. Um, Andrew making a very good point here that for those that are after a lower risk exposure, you might want to consider an ETF, an ACDC, which is Let's face it, the best ticker ever invented for an ETF uh, was, was nominated there. So, uh, and Michael, Michael agreeing pretty much with that sentiment. So Paladin Energy was the next one. We started talking about uh, uranium and this has had a, a pretty of a sordid history. So the gents making some comments here that if you are a trader, if you're a short term, then yes, momentum is on your side. If you are an investor, then not with the 10 foot pole is, is essentially the summary there. And finally, strategic elements with its neuromorphic printable brain technology and a whole other bunch of really super interesting stuff. Has the market super, super excited at this point in time? Will it convert into long term earnings growth and free cash flow generation? Well, that's the million dollar question for these guys. A little too spicy to say yes. So it was thumbs down across the board. Well, as you guys know, we do run a little portfolio here at The Call. And if you watch regularly, you'll know that it has had a very good performance. We kicked this off in uh, July, July 1 of last year. If our two experts give a buy recommendation for a stock that comes up on the show, we add it in. If we get two thumbs down or even one thumb down or even a hold, in fact, if we get anything except for two thumbs up and a stock is already in that portfolio, we sell it. Lovely, elegant, rules-based system 
And because we've got such smart guests on the, on the show, uh, we have performed very well. Let's take a look at exactly how well we have performed. Green across the board, um, as I'm fond of saying, I think the longer time frames are far more meaningful and just as well too, because it's up almost 26% over that period, well and truly thrashing the market, which is really uh, exciting. Uh, what changes have we made? Well. What I'll say here is the best thing to do is just to go to our website, ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio, and you will see all of the changes that we are making. But in terms of the recent ones, uh, Nick Scarly, the most recent change coming in yesterday after that. Wow, what a wonderful update the company had yesterday. In fact, what a wonderful long-term track record Nick Scarly has had. So uh, that one has been added to the portfolio along with A2, Illumina, Viva Energy and CSL. Some of the stocks that got kicked out just this week uh, in the first week of trade for 2021, we had Sydney airports getting the boot as did Deterra Royalties. Well, there we go. Let's get into the back five here. We're going to talk about some different stocks here. Um, let's talk about casinos. Andrew, I'm going to start with you first, if I can. Star Entertainment Group, SGR. Marco wants to know, is it worth a gamble for yet another terrible pun? No, just, just stop, mate. Just stop. You're Sorry. embarrassing yourself. You're embarrassing I know. Uh, Michael and I. Um, <laughs> just leave us with the bad jokes, all right? You can walk around. <laughs> leave it to the experts. <laughs> Leave it to the stock and bad doke experts, as my daughter would say. Uh, look, Queensland Company, so obviously that's a big tick uh, immediately. Um, but uh, in all seriousness, pretty hard to get excited about this one. Obviously pretty impacted by COVID, as, as you would expect. Was actually performing pretty well prior to February 2020, but in the context of all the lockdowns and restrictions on spacing, as there should be. Um, significant pipeline of work ahead relating to if you've been to Brisbane, well you probably can't at the moment, but if you had been to Brisbane you would have seen the work that's going on at Queen's Wharf there, opposite South Bank, that's pretty impressive and also at the Gold Coast there, the old Jupiter's uh, site. So they have actually been repaying a fair bit of debt, but look, from my point of view it's probably not a business that we're not that interested in. Certainly if you have a look at say Aristocrat as an example, and what's really driving their earnings, there's been a big uptick in sort of that digital space mm. where a lot more people have actually been sort of using the digital offerings. So as a consequence, if I was looking for that as a threat to their business or as an opportunity for another company, I'd probably have a look at Aristocrat. We don't mind Jumbo either, J-I-N. But uh, yeah. I guess the other thing, and I know we've touched on this previously before, is the whole ESG considerations as well, sort of that ethical social governance piece where I note that uh, in the recent AGM presentation, they had a whole slide around how good corporate citizens they are, and I'm not suggesting that they're not, but from an, a number of uh, ESG-style investors, companies like this might pop up on their radar and might wanting to do a deeper look as to whether it sort of floats their boat in that regard. So I'm a, I'm a hold. A hold is the best we can do from Andrew. Michael, what do you think? Uh, look, I, you know, this is one of those reopening trades sort of second half of 2020 did, did really well um, and like you know the travel stocks in the last um, few weeks coming back because of as we know um, the, the resurgence with, with COVID locally so um, I think that theme still has further to run um, beyond the short term um, you know as a business they've they've reduced their gearing a bit um, Andrew touched on that um, based on their valuation I don't think the market's really factoring in much upside this year so that sort of tells me that that we could still get that um, you know another leg up in the share price if things start uh, heading our way at least 
you know, the difference between now and six months ago, of course, is we actually know there is a vaccine and, and it's it's coming and, and it'll, it will happen. Um, so at least we do have that certainty in a way. So look, I, again, agree with Andrew, aristocrats are our, our pick in the sector. Um, but if you were looking at this company, I think you could still make decent money over 12 months. Um, also from, from current levels, you just might have to experience a bit of short-term downside. I'm going to press you so on it, though. We'll make it a yes. We'll make it a yes. There we go. Is that our first yes? That is our first yes <laughs> of the show. Well done. Uh, I'll stay with you, Michael. Let's talk about Quorum Group. Um, mm. This uh, has been sent in by Jack. The ASX ticker is COO. Software for pharmacies. Now, I've come across this company before. It's actually really interesting what they're doing, but it does strike me potentially, Michael, as a gunner company. They've always sort of about on the cusp of yeah. greatness, but they just don't seem to be able to get there. Is it, is it just a case of not yet or not ever, do you think? Yeah, that's, uh, can't answer that one, to be honest. Look, I, I hadn't heard of this, so I had to do a little bit of research this morning. So there's the pharmacy side, looks like they also um, have a system for um, people to pay various bills and other, other things through their sort of platform. They've got deals with real estate agents and so on. Um, so, you know, you instantly think, okay, you know, a tech company can be rolled out quite easily, et cetera, et cetera. But it looks like they've, you know, their, their revenues have been on, uh, on a downwards trajectory for a while. Um, they've been trying to cut costs. Um, I guess the one positive is that um, another major company bought a, a bit of a stake. I don't have the number off the top of my head now, but um, they purchased a bit of stake in this company in November. So that gave the share price a bit of a, bit of a lift, but you know, what does that mean you know, in terms of, you know, trying to deliver on all their promises? So for me, it's, yeah, look, I, you know, not investable. Um, if we put our trading hat on, um, it's not even doing anything there, to be honest. I mean, it, yeah. Look, Pretty it, it just, liquid a, by the looks of things. It has to be a no. Yeah, that's a yeah. no. Andrew, what do you reckon about Quorum Group? Yeah, look, I'm sorry, I'm not going to press the, the buy button on this one. Uh, to the point around the investable piece, or it's pretty hard to get set. Like, there's only $18,000 a day that's traded on this. So, you know, it's a bit of a crab pot, somewhat easy to get into, but reasonably difficult to get out of. So on that basis alone, I don't want to put my clients into that sort of position. Um, they recently completed a capital raising for about three million bucks, uh, which was underwritten, which was great. But they actually only got about 2.8 million in from shareholders or new investors. So in other words, the underwriters are holding about $200,000 worth of stock, which isn't a huge amount. But as we've just heard, 18,000 a day traded. So that's probably hanging over the stock as well. The ROE is okay at 14%, uh, but why wouldn't you buy like a technology one, which is like a 50% ROE? So, yeah, look, pretty hard to get excited about this. Uh, I'm not a buyer uh, of this one. You make some really good points there. I mean, there's, as we all know, there are some really lovely characteristics when it comes to software companies, but I guess none of them really sort of emerge unless you get that top line growth and hopefully a bit of exponential uh, low incremental cost growth. And it just doesn't seem to be coming through. So Jack, unfortunately, a no from the two gents at this stage. Let's talk about Link. Um, Andrew, I'm going to stay with you. This has been uh, in the news a lot lately, of course. It had a real run up on some takeover uh, potential and then one of well, part of that potential sort of being taken away recently and shares reacting accordingly. Is this an opportunity to buy at a cheaper price or is it still not uh, a buy for you, Andrew? 
danger, Will Robinson, danger. <laughs> it's, uh, it's certainly the amber lights are flashing on this one. And I guess the number one question was, was it SC, SSNC? Why did they walk away? So um, this business floated five years ago, $6.30, uh, kicked up for a bit, and then has just pretty much been a perennial disappointment, as you can see with that chart there. And I don't know whether your chart can go out further. Sorry, Gordon, I should have given you a bit more notice. But it's just been very, very underwhelming uh, from an investment perspective. And so when uh, there were some private equity people that came along and offered five, 20 and then I think they upped it to 540. There's a later chart, thank you. There's a um, And then um, this, uh, this NASDAQ listed business came along in uh, early December and said, hey, look, here's 565. And then only a couple of days ago basically said, uh, we've done our due diligence. We don't like what we're seeing. They didn't say this, but that's the, the inference. Don't like what we're seeing and we're out. And so the share, the share price has obviously come under pressure because people are going, well, what did they find? What's the, mm. what's the issue? So that private equity bit, I think, is still there, um, Michael, I think. Um, but really, the, the company has come out and said, look, they're still looking at demerging that Torrens Group business, which owns PEXA, which Pexa. is uh, the, the, the property um, registry business. So that's potentially the, the get out of jail for them from a value perspective. Forecast earnings uh, growth of 30% on a P of 16. So if you just look at it from a numbers perspective and trading 20% below consensus, it looks like a buy. But uh, as I said, my amber lights are definitely flashing on this one. I want to sort of get a bit of a handle as to what uh, SNC found. Um, so no, I'm, I'm certainly not a buyer at these levels. And I note that a lot of the major fund managers, as per the Fin review a couple of days ago, were madly selling into the offer when it hit 565, which was mm. interesting in itself. That is very interesting. And I think it's probably a good reminder too for investors not to get too excited when you have takeover offers uh, come onto the boards. We tend to forget that they, uh, they don't always go through. And when they don't, there's usually only one direction for the share price. You have to be pretty confident of that. Michael, does Link um, mm. tick any Do boxes for you? Look, I, I know we haven't been giving you many yeses on the show. So don't apologize. Don't what apologize. I thought I'll do is I'll explain. Okay. I'm not going to give you a yes. Okay, so that's fine. This that's is fine. a no as well. Okay. So, um, look, I think, you know, as you know, it's not just what you buy, it's it's what not to buy sometimes. And All the time. Um, hey, if we end up with yeah. a heap of no's today, then that's that's good for the, the viewers at home. You beat me to make that point. You know, it, uh, this one's yeah, no good for the reasons mentioned. I yeah. mean, you know, two suitors, one of them's walked away pretty quickly. Um, yeah, don't don't need to be there. Don't you know? Don't need to buy it. Don't need to still hold it. Just yeah. sell it. Um, yeah. You know, if the the first party leaves, um, you know, it may well. It could even head lower than where it was before they had that first offer because maybe there is something there that the market didn't know back then that's going to come out now because um, you know someone's done their their due diligence. So yeah, look, short story, just don't need to be there. Plenty of other opportunities out there in the market. Yeah. And, and we, we've talked about it regularly on the show, but it's always worth remembering that, you know, to get the full benefits of diversification, you kind of get that at what, 20, maybe 25 stocks. Um, frankly, a lot of it at, at about 15 stocks. So your job really as an investor is to get the best 15, 20 odd investments out there. So we do often say no to a lot of uh, very interesting and worthy companies on the market, but mainly for the reason, at least according to our experts, there's just more attractive fish in the sea. Maybe 
Levisa is one of those stocks. LOV, Greg has written in asking us about that. Michael, what do you think? Fast mm. fashion, they've got a really interesting strategy. Yeah. Uh, they seem as though they're, they're doing a lot of really great things. But I also note too, that if you've been a long-term shareholder, it's been a really volatile ride. Yeah. Uh, the market really gets super excited about this and then it gets really despondent about it. I guess there's opportunity in there if mm. you understand the business well, but yeah, what light can you shed on Levisa for us? Yeah, look, uh yeah, great point. It's moved around a lot. So I guess the question would be, well, do you enter up here? So they've had some, some good news there. They're expanding into Europe, the, the share price. Got a bit of a lift up there in um, sort of November, December. Um, but I think that that's, that's sort of it for the share price. I mean, it's a good little business. Um, they've had, you know, the earnings have been growing generally um, every year. But um, it's, I can't remember the PE, but when I looked, it just looked pretty expensive for, for that sort of earnings growth. And, um, you know, you're happy to pay up if a company delivers consistent, you know, you can almost guess the number every year, but this, this one's sort of been a, bit, a little bit all over the place. So look, it's, it's a decent business, but at this price, yeah, can't do it. When I look at the chart, does, doesn't excite me as if it's going to have a bit more upside anyway. So. Unfortunately, again, a no on this one. I think there are other opportunities out there. Nick Scarley, you mentioned at the top of the show. I mean, why would you not buy Nick Scarley and, and go for a, a crazy harebrained um, trading stock like LaVisa? Unless you think you're going to make quite a lot more by catching um, a, a particular move. But I think any of the crazy moves have, have been seen in this stock. I think it's going to settle down from here. Okay, so uh, Andrew, Michael not liking it um, from a technical perspective and seeing better opportunities elsewhere. What do you think? I like the business a lot, Andrew. Um, I like the fact that Brett Blundy owns 40% of the business. So for those playing at home, Brett Blundy uh, is a very well regarded in the market retailer, a floated bras and things many years ago, and a major shareholder in Accent Group AX1, very highly regarded. And so when I see Brett's name pop up and he owns 40% of the business, it certainly gets my attention. Um, the Australian and New Zealand side of this business is trading incredibly well. The issue is that European side, as we've just heard, uh, Germany's just gone into lockdown, uh, London's just gone, or the UK's going into lockdown. And so that's certainly impacting them. Having said that, they've also been opportunistic. They've just gone and bought some businesses across Europe, for, I think, for 60 euro, like the entire business. I, I had to uh, read that twice. I thought that must mean million or something. But no, you're right, 60 60, 60 euros. So I think between the three of us, we could probably come up with 60 euros. So um, they're actually being pretty uh, opportunistic. And I also like the fact, Andrew, there's no debt. Mm. So you've got switched on management, you've got no debt, but the, the, the swing factor being that they're operating in an environment which is really difficult to operate in. And you look at like Premier Investments as an example, that's done pretty well sort of switching to sort of like an online model. And there's been a number of other retailers again AX1 being one that's been able to do so so whether La Vista is able to do that I mean I wouldn't buy it at these levels simply by virtue of the fact as you can just see in that chart alone that uh, it does bounce around a lot but if you get that opportunity to be in there buying um, I mean consensus on it is about 12 bucks me personally if I could be getting it in the tens uh, I'd certainly be very happy to buy it I mean and even cheaper so backing management backing uh, their opportunistic nature, but at near at where they are at the moment, they're probably just a bit expensive for me. So it's a hold. 
a hold at this point in time. I'll just press you on that, Andrew, because for once in my life, we've actually got a little bit of extra capacity in terms of time. So I'll ask you this question here. Do you find it, uh, another leading question, which I want to do, but it seems to me that when you get a combination of a very attractive business uh, with a very bright future that is hit by short-term non-structural issues, uh, where the market tends to be very focused in the near term, that's it's actually a wonderful opportunity, right? Given if, if, if you take the view that a, a share price is worth the sum of all its free, uh, future cash flows, you know, it's sort of like, yes, we might have a bad year. Yes, there might be a bit of a delay to a European expansion. Yes, there might be sore one-off factors, but if nothing else has changed, surely that's got to be an opportunity. Yeah, absolutely, Andrew. And if you have a look at, I mean, there's other factors in play as well. Like if it's and a number of the companies we cover today are smaller companies. So in other words, there aren't many analysts who are following them. Um, and so there isn't a lot of sort of institutional push or pull there. Um, you know, we spoke earlier come around, was it IAG? So pick on IAG. It's an $11.5 billion company just got booted out of the ASX 20, replaced by Afterpay. Hmm. Figure, but Sign you know you times. would have actually seen a fair bit of institutional selling in IAG for those funds that had to hold a certain amount within that ASX 20. You don't have that issue with these smaller emerging leader companies. And you might remember you and I discussed previously that Spiva research done by S&P, which talks about the performance of active managers over say 10 years in Australia. Companies that try and beat the top 200, 82% of them have failed over the mm. last 10 years. But if you sort of drop outside that 200, so 201 to 2,600 and whatever there is on the ASX, that number switches to about 55, 45. So there's still, there's still underperformance, but there's a lot less underperformance because small companies, there's a lot less analysts who are following it. There's a lot more opportunity to your point earlier if you're willing to do a bit of reading and so forth and really get to know a particular business. I mean, the average small company in Australia only has two analysts who are following it. So you really do have the opportunity if you understand a business world, there are some pressures on from a market point of view and you see that share price come under pressure and there are things you like about it. You like the management, you like the fact they've got no debt, you like the fact that they're opportunistic, you know, whatever is your, your triggers, then if you see that share price under pressure, certainly that's probably the time to start dollar cost averaging. So I didn't say sort of get in there and buy it, it's sort of say, right, well, you know, I've got a certain amount of money to spend, I'm just gonna be incrementally averaging in to get my price at where I want it to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm nodding furiously here. Uh, Michael, I'm gonna to go to you for stock number 10 of the day, uh, corporate travel management, CTD. Mm. Helen wants to know, this is one that has uh, really divides people, I have found. It is one of those really superstar stocks for the longest time, like right through from 2011 up to 2018, it just went from a few bucks up to $30 in a near enough in a straight line. Yeah. Then we had that short attack things fell all the way back to below $10 an hour at 17. What, what do you make of all of that? Yeah, look, it's, um, yeah, it's definitely fallen off its perch. I think that, that there'll still be a bit of a cloud hanging over the, the company for a while. And um, I think that, look, again, this is you know, one of those sort of reopened trades. Um, I've traded the travel stocks end of last year, you know, your flight centers, your Webjets. Qantas, all these sorts of things, um, not corporate travel. Um, so Any reason why, let me just dig into that. Why, well, why not corporate travel? For, for some of the reasons, you know, for some of their, I guess the, the cloud hanging over okay. the business. Okay. But, yep. but the, the other one, of course, I guess structurally, you'd think that when people start 
travelling again. I think people are championing it a bit to, to travel, um, but, but leisure travel, where mm. you know, business travel, uh, you know, you, you'd think that that would be a bit slower uh, moving. Um, you know, people wanting to, to go back and hop on a plane for a meeting and, and, and so on. So, um, look, it's much of a muchness, but I think, again, if, you, if you're trying to play that, um, that investment thesis, then, um, you know, you've got to pick the ones that are the better ones in that area. And I think, you know, if, again, if you look at something like a WebJet or a Qantas, you can argue that, that they have the better potential than, than something like corporate travel because of, you know, you've got the risks there. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Look, share price did well back of last year, um, but like other travel stocks, um, as we mentioned with Star Entertainment, coming back in the short term. So I, I think that, you know, 12 months from now, the share price will be higher than $17. But um, again, I think if, you, if you're trying to attack that, that reopen trade again, when, when everything dies down with COVID, um, I think you could do it a little bit more safely with some of the other travel stocks. Andrew, what do you think in the uh, closing minutes of the show with corporate travel management? VGI partners are the people who were shorting it, and they're not silly by any stretch of the imagination. Having said that, haven't sort of this trade hasn't the, their shorting trade hasn't worked out for them like they had hoped. Um, I, I, I just sort of wonder whether there's actually been a, a real structural change that's occurred within that corporate travel market. There isn't necessarily the need to be going out and you know doing all that travel. I mean, not that everyone wants to be on a Zoom call or looking at a frozen Skype picture like you are at the moment, but mm-hmm. um, I just can't help but wonder whether there's actually some sort of like uh, broader structural change that's gonna occur around travel as well in that corporate space. So I note that they recently completed a shareholder entitlement at 1385, which is pretty well supported. And I note consensus is near 19 bucks but it uh, looked pretty hard to get excited about this one on a longer-term basis as a short-term travel trade type of thing, potentially. But uh, I think to Michael's point around that cloud that's been around that business, uh, I'm happy to uh, sit on the sidelines in this one. All right, so that's a double no for corporate travel, and that is all of our 10 stocks. Let's do a quick recap of that back five there. We uh, started with Star Entertainment Group. Uh, Michael didn't mind that as well, although uh, agreeing with Andrew that Aristocrat Leisure was the preferred pick in that space, and for Andrew, it was uh, it was a hold there. Uh, Quorum Group, uh, software company, uh, pharmacies, real estate agencies, a bit of an interest from an institutional buyer of late, but it just hasn't really managed to uh, accelerate uh, any sales there. So it was a pass for both of those guys. Link Administration, uh, Andrew actually giving a warning, warning uh, sign there. Uh, some some people were sniffing around and they ran the other way. So for that reason, the guys were not interested. We then spoke about LaVisa. Uh, it wasn't for Michael um, making, making some comments there around about the fact that it is a little bit too expensive and you might get a better opportunity. But uh, Andrew really liking the business there as well, particularly the fact that it's backed uh, well, we've got a very substantial shareholder in Brett Blundy, who's a very experienced operator in that space, amongst some other reasons, but also uh, not quite a buy uh, for valuation reasons. So from Andrew, that was a hold. And we ended on corporate travel management, which as you've just heard, a bit of a cloud still hanging over it from that short attack. And uh, as far as Michael's concerned, some better opportunities in that reopening uh, uh, thematic and with those other players on the ASX. That is our show for today. I should have updated you before when I mentioned the portfolio, Ioneer, the one that Tim sent in, that lithium play, it was in the portfolio. Both of the guys gave it a thumbs down, so 
it's going to get kicked out uh, as of the close of trade today. Hey, if there's any stocks that you'd like us to cover, be sure to send them in. We can't do the show without any suggestions. So we are always interested in what is interesting you. There's two ways that you can contact us. You can do so on Twitter, which is really easy to do. You'll see the address on your screen in just a moment. And uh, email if you prefer. The address there is the call at osbiz.com.au. But that is our show for today. Michael Gable from Fairmont Equities. Always great to chat. Thanks, Andrew. And uh, Andrew Wyland from DP Wealth Advisory. Enjoy the rest of your holidays. Thank you, Andrew. Michael, always a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, it always is. And that is our show. As I said, we'll be back in just a little moment. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.